Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis might be more fascist than Donald Trump and just a little bit smarter. It's not necessarily, oh, we're going to have a civil war soon, but I'm just saying, if you look at that statistic there, it shows just because the civil war is, is over doesn't mean that animosity just goes away or you automatically were like, yeah, we were wrong. Hey, I'm so sorry. Yeah, we were wrong. This is the Snap Up, where each week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla help you digest their favorite stories from the world of sports and politics. The, the history books have gotten away with a lot of the bad things that we've done as society because they were non-Christian nations. And just like the dreaded Snap Book, don't be surprised when we start bringing you over to the left side of the fairway. Back in the good old days, you could have gotten a job doing just about anything if you sat there and said, I have a college degree. But now, that's not the case. So we're going to sit there, we're going to back on these kids. We're going to sit there and say, you're going to owe, you know, thousands of dollars of debt. And in many cases, some of them pay for maybe twenty dollars or $30,000 they borrow. They might pay two or $300,000 in their lifetime with all the competitive interest. And now here are your hackers of the week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla. Welcome back into the Snap Hook Podcast. Tim Costello, Scott Barzilla, still trying to work off some of those Thanksgiving pounds that we've added on here. Scott, how about you? I don't know if I added too much. I, I usually, my, I don't know. I just don't eat as much, I guess, as some people do. I don't know how some people put that stuff away. I mean, I, I enjoy food and all, but um, of course, this week is a kind of is kind of birthday week. Uh, for me, because, you know, I've got, you know, my parents taking me out you know, tomorrow night and then, uh, you know, Janet taking me out Thursday. So make some packs, some pounds on there. Yeah, I, I do a lot of cooking uh, for Thanksgiving. And, you know, we also had people over on Saturday as well. And so I actually don't end up eating as much when I do all that cooking because I'm just so stressed about everybody liking it and stuff like that. By the time I sit down to eat, I just... You know, I have a little bit, but, um, you know, I have a, a tradition on Thanksgiving. As I bake the turkey, I also like to bake myself. And so uh, by the time I'm, I'm eating, I'm, I'm munching pretty hard, Scott. So most times I do put away a fair amount of turkey. Um, and then this was the first year. Uh, it was tough. I, I don't know about you. I got to have two, two of the – we talked about, like, things we had to have at our Thanksgiving table, right? Yeah. Big two of those were missing for me this year. Um, number one, mashed potatoes were not there this year. My mother-in-law did mashed sweet potatoes, which I feel fine, cool, whatever. But you got to have that in addition to the mashed potatoes. Uh, and number two, I got to have crescent rolls. Like they had some good rolls. They had like, you know, like the Luby style, like yeast roll, which is not a bad roll. But I, I need crescents for the leftover turkey sandwiches that I then slice up at night. You know, when you're, you know, nine o'clock at night rolls around, you little slice turkey sandwich on a crescent. It's fantastic. And uh, I didn't get to have that this year. I'm not a big sweet potato fan. Me neither. I, I, guess I, I guess I never have been. And what's, what's kind of funny is that 
I kind of look back on things because I, I was, you know, officially diagnosed with diabetes, I guess it's about four or five years ago now. But there's so many things like growing up that I didn't enjoy. Like I don't enjoy, you know, uh, like if you, you get like your traditional, like say wedding cake, I'll eat the cake, kind of leave the icing. I'm not a, I'm not a huge icing person. Depend, depends on the icing. But yeah, sometimes those cakes are, the icing's way too sweet. Yeah, exactly. It's anything is way too, so, so like any, like the candies, anything that has, it's not even so much that needs a tart. But it needs like kind of like a salt, uh, almost like a salt intake there. I, I'm trying to look at what you got there. Like it, Ike, baby. Um, but yeah, no, we didn't have mashed potatoes. And then we had that giblet gravy that I was telling you about. And, you know, you just kind of pick out the giblets. And, and, oh, you, you know, don't like the of, giblets in your gravy? Not the ones that, no, this is like. Not, like, not these giblets. No, there's like egg and, you know, stuff like that. I'm just not, yeah. And then. I, I let me pitch this to you because I haven't really talked a lot about it, but it's I feel like a Thanksgiving foul was committed. Um, I cooked a beautiful bird, absolutely beautiful. Compliments around, juicy, moist, flavorful. Time to go. My leftovers are nowhere to be found. Right? Oh, you know, really got eaten. I was a twenty-two and a half pound bird, but you know, okay. Well, then the next day. I hear my my in-laws talk about how they're making a turkey pot pie. That was my turkey pot pie to make, Scott. Am I am I wrong? Yeah, I I, I have no problem dishing around leftovers. But, but I've got to at least be offered some of my exa- own turkey. Well, there has to be a, a meeting of the minds on who gets what. Put nine hours in that fucking bird. I mean, I, I have never, you know, I don't know that I could ever walk into my parents' home because that's who hosted this year. I don't know if I could ever walk into the home and just sit there and say, okay, you know, all this stuff I'm, I'm taking with me well, without see, announcing they, it. They, I mean, host, they hosted, but I brought the turkey. Yeah, you still got to eat. I mean, to me, there, there has to be a division of, of food. I agree. I agree. Especially when you, it's the bird. The bird specifically, because they had no problem giving me my, my tray of mac and cheese back. That, that did not get finished, but the the turkey that everybody enjoyed was, uh, you know, somehow bagged up and put in the fridge and made into a pot pie. I never got my I never got my late night turkey sandwich. That like you know that's a that's a staple. You gotta have I, a late night turkey sandwich. Of course, hearing the tales of you know what he's given to you in terms of like you know the Rangers nice Rangers tickets you had there with the Astros in town and and things You're like not that. Wrong. You, you have to I guess you have to take the good with the bad there. Not wrong at all. He did pay for my golf on Friday morning. So yeah, I did. Um, speaking of golf, I, I finally did make it out to the links on uh, on Friday afternoon. Uh, I know I texted Tim some of the results, but I figure um, I'll have to take my medicine here. Um, oh, we, I, I, I mean, we both played like shit on Friday. It seems like, but you know, Scott, I had a new name for you typed into the into the chat here on. And it seems it went away. Did you change your new name? I did not see the new name. Oh, you were three Jack. Oh, three. I thought I was going to be Captain Three Wiggle, but uh, no. You know what's funny is is that, it, and I don't know about you, but um, actually, actually, a pretty good article, a lengthy article. Did you ever read Golf Digest? Yes, actually. So my brother and I both had subscriptions to Golf Digest and Golf Magazine. I got golf. He got Golf Digest, and then we'd like. 
trade halfway through the month. We both finished our magazine and, and we're ready for the next one. So did you ever read Dan Jenkins? I don't. Rem- I can't remember which one of the guys that is. The only one I specifically remember was was Rick Riley had the back. Uh, had the back, oh no, yeah 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 yeah. The David, yeah I it was like David Faraday's. David Faraday had a nice uh, oh yeah every month. So Dan Jenkins actually he uh, he and David Faraday are kind of like similar in terms of their writing styles. Um, in fact, you know Dan Jenkins wrote a screenplay uh, for a movie called Dead Solid Perfect, which uh, had Randy Quaid in it, uh, which wasn't a wasn't a terrible golf movie. I mean, it was you know it, it made for HBO movie, but he he played at my alum TCU and uh, came in second in the conference to Morris Williams Jr., which I'm sure you've heard that name before. Um, so back when I was in high school. Uh, the state championship was always played at Morris Williams Jr. Golf Club, which by the time you would have been in high school, that course I think had been torn down. I mean, it was like a kind of a crap muni. But Morris Williams Jr., the whole the, the thing, according to the story, they're playing in the last round of the conference tournament. They're tied with three holes to play. And Jenkins is in the middle of the fairway. Williams is way off in the rough. So Jenkins plays first and he hits his ball to six inches from the hole. And he's sitting there thinking, I'm tapping in for birdie. He's way over there in the rough. He's making par bogey. You know, I'm going to win the conference tournament. I'm going to go on tour. I'm going to have a courtesy car. I'm going to do all these things. Morris Williams plays a shot and he cans it from the rough. Wins the conference championship by one. And he said over the years, and he wrote this, and he called it his semi-tough return to golf. Because over the years, he'd gone from about like 170 pounds to like 280 pounds. And so when he was young, he's hitting the 260, 270-yard draw, you know, back in the 60s. And then now he's got this little cut because he can't swing around his gut. And so he said he just quit the game. Just quit it. And then, you know, about 15 years later, he'd lost all the weight. And so he picked the game back up and he said, my favorite was he, he had, uh, he started to, um, to have a case of El Hazel, you know, as they used in Tim Cup. I, I, I don't like to use that word in public. Um, he had the case of the El Hazels. So he asked Roger Malpe, well, how do you get rid of that? And he said, Roger Malpe told him, hit it left. So now I got to figure out how to stop hitting it left, but um, he. But the whole thing was about his semi-tough return to golf, and it was it was hilarious. And I felt like Friday was kind of like my semi-tough return to golf after about three or four months. And you, you know, I got to be honest, Scott. You you played a tough course for your triumphant return, right? For anyone who's never been to Clear Lake or played Magnolia Creek. Um, it's a tough test of golf. Okay. The wind is, the wind is almost always howling out there. It's long, it's hard. The greens are fast and, um, you know, it's a true links style golf course minus it's not a coastal course. Right. But other than that, like the wind's blowing, typically they have a very, very high thick native grass called the gunch. When that's grown, when that's grown out, your ball is, is not findable in that area. And if you do find it, you will literally like break a wrist, um, trying to hit it out of there. Like come ask me, I've ruptured tendons. Um, it's a tough golf course. And so Scott, you got beat up a little bit out there and that's okay. That's okay. You know, 
Well, you know, what I was thinking is through the round, I didn't really have a whole lot of expectations, you know, going into it. And so I think what kind of gets frustrating is like, it's like any athlete in any sport. I could see glimpses of a game. Like there were shots I hit where it's like, okay, that's pretty awesome. I mean, there were a couple of points of disappointment uh, in terms of the course that I remember. Like um, I know, um, let's see, number they they sent me off um, Scotland, Ireland. So you're par five, number seven on Scotland. You remember that hole? You remember that huge bunker they had in the middle of the fairway? I think it's gone. I think I think they took it out. I mean, I mean, the bunker may still be there, but it's not like that pronounced. You have to hit over. You know, if you get into it, you're basically like blasting out. You know, like a hundred yards out. Yeah, it's about a hundred yards out, but you can't. There's no way you can get to the green if you're in that bunker. I mean, you have to blast out like you're on a green. I mean, it's like a penalty stroke. I didn't see that bunker, and then there was one on the on the Ireland side. Uh, right after that short par three, where I remember there was one by the green that was kind of a similar bunker, and the bunker's still there, but it's not nearly as deep. I mean, you don't have to take like I remember you used, there was like a ladder you had to climb. Yeah, they get rid of that one. That so part of the part of Magnolia Creek going private. Now you got members bitching at the superintendent saying we don't like this. Well, don't right? don't don't hit in the bunker then. But at the end of the day, if you got a bunch of old men out there, which is what a majority of the membership is out there, and I know this because, like, my dad plays poker with like ten of them, um, they don't like it. They yeah, like it. I get. I can't get, get out get, of there. I got. I got it. I got it. But you know, um, one thing I'll say about the round though is I, I still love playing that style of golf. Oh, it's a there fantastic. Were, it's there, a fantastic way to play. There, there were several shots, I would say chips, particularly early in the round, where I was about two feet from having a great chip. But it was the wrong two feet. And it cost me. And what would happen was, is that, you know, a 10-foot par putt would turn into like a 30 or 40-foot par putt. And then I'd three-jack it because I, I just couldn't, can, I couldn't control the speed. So, I mean, that, that, that was kind of like what, you know, a microcosm of my day. But I hit several good golf shots. I had some good chips, too. And so it's one of those things where I realized that if I can go out there and commit to playing on a regular basis, which um, I did get in touch with the pro afterwards. You know, it was very nice. I said, hey, you know, the course is in great shape. You know, thanks for letting me come out. And they have a, an opening for a starter. So I went and threw in my application. So, you know, maybe I can get out there and, um, you know, and I, if I could work one or two days a week, you know, get free golf, I, I'm good with that. That's that's the key right there. If you could work like a couple Saturdays, try and get the early Saturday morning shift, and then you can even play like nine holes um, after your shift. And you know what my dad used to do is he would find a point in the day where it's like kind of slow and he'd go out and he'd say he was doing like quote unquote course maintenance or whatever and he'd bring like a bag with him and he'd collect balls. And then he'd also bring like a wedge or a nine iron and he'd go over like nine green and he'd like chip and work on his pitch shots. And then when someone was ready to tee off, he'd go back over to the front and he'd uh, and he'd be starting them again. What's Yeah, what's funny about that is, you know, Lately, I, I don't lose a ton of golf balls, even as it is. 
I shot a one on one, but it was with 42 putts. So, I mean, to me, you get, you get me down to like 32, 33 putts and I'm, you know, I'm a reasonable golfer and I ended up being even on golf balls and, and I did not hit, I don't think I hit anything in the water ever at any point during the day. So any golf balls I lost, I lost because they went into, you know, whatever that heavy brush was, but then I'd find a ball in the heavy brush. It's like, okay, replacement ball. You know, cool. Keep going. Are you picky? Am I what? I'm sorry. Are you picky about balls? Oh, no, you know what? I was just getting with my parents on this because they were asking me for for Christmas, and my dad was asking me what 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 kind of golf balls do you want? And I said white. White is key. It's a, you funny. You joke that way now, but you really do have to specify that now with all these freaking colors that are coming out. Yeah, that's true. They they well, they were selling those weird balls that um. I can't even remember, was it Slovic or that? No, that's the offensive coordinator for the Texans. Um, I, I can't remember the name of the brand name, but they I know, it's sell a, them at Volvic, right? Yeah, Volvic. There you go. And, I and, used and, to play those in high school. Um, but no, I, it, it's kind of like my uncle says about beer. His, you know, he says he has two requirements for beer. Number one, free and cold. I mean, those are his free two and cold. They're the best options. Yeah, that's right. I mean. And so, you know, that's kind of like me with golf balls. You give me anything, like, unless it's like the old-fashioned top flights that are, like, hitting a rock, I'll go with anything, you know. I am I am picky. I, I don't know if it surprises you, Scott, but I am picky about the ball. I don't uh, – well, you know what? If I generated probably the club head speed that you did, I probably would be too. But right now, I mean, I'm, I'm not getting enough club head speed to really – to where, you know, spin is not really – that big of a deal for me at this point when I was younger, it was because, you know, I was getting more club at speed, but now it's just, it's, it's just rough. Um, but I, I did not broom putt it. I putted it with the, uh, the new putter that I had there, the Cleveland, um, um, nice putter, um, felt good. You know, it just, it, it distance was, was a killer. Do you think you're, old cheating ways would have helped with that or was it like you just weren't going to get the speed no matter what no i would i mean the old cheating ways don't didn't help much with speed that was more of an inside 10 feet kind of deal that it would i had more confidence with that thing um but you know i think as the day went on i got better i mean i had a two putt par i actually hit a green uh hit uh number eight on the ireland uh, and then I two putted for par. So, you know, that was, uh, it was a good effort on my part. Um, had a, had a Rommel. If anybody wants to go back to last week's show, wants to find out what that is. Uh, but that was a number two Ireland there. Hit it in one of that uh, bunker right there in front. Took out my gap wedge. Uh, had to, uh, play it like a conventional chip shot because I don't have a, don't have a traditional sandwich yet, but, uh, played that sucker to about a foot from the hole. You know, tap in for par. It's my rumble. Give me my bag tag. That's a um, good day, man. That's yeah. A, it's a good day. I'm glad you got out there. I'm glad you saw the course. And I hope you do get a chance to, to play a little bit more. Because, you know, you got the new clubs. I'm sure you're itching to get out there. Um, yeah, man. It's I, It sounded like you hit hit it a lot better. I mean, if you if you take away 10 putts even, which gets you to you know, 32. 31, 32 putts. 
uh, you know, that's a 91, which, yeah. you know, the, the goal when we started this was trying to get you closer to 80. And uh, that's not far off, man. Yeah, it'll it, and it's like any other round. I mean, really, once you got me past the first six holes, I think the first six holes, I was, let's see, I had one, I think I only had one bogey. Had four doubles and a tr- and a quad. Good lord! Uh, so I was thirteen over after uh, after six holes, and then the rest of the day. So that's that's you know that's not too bad. Uh, the last twelve holes. I mean that's about bogey golf almost. So yeah, that start. You start on Scotland. Start on Scotland. Too well, drivable. Well, yeah, and I, I didn't. I hit a, a I hit the, uh, hit the rescue club off the tee there. Uh, had weak, me, weak sauce, bro. Driver all me, day out there. Had me a nice seven iron in, hit it. You know, about you know an inch off the ground, if that. Um, about 12, thirty yards. That was one of the bad shots of the day, but that was. But it, it was a perfect example of my round. So I chip it to the back of the green got a 30 footer blow it past three putt for a double you know well nothing bad i mean it was you know the the you know the drive was good i mean i was about 140 out but yeah that's just rough um yeah i did it i've I've been ripping big dog more i figured a little something out and i've been hitting I hit 12 fairways on on friday i just i fatted 10 no less than 10 chip shots i don't know what was going on I, I don't know what was up with my eyes or my death perception, but any chip shots that I had, I, I either thinned it, fatted it. I didn't hit. I didn't hit one good chip, and I was I was sitting like a three hundred yard drive on a two hundred, a three hundred and ten yard hole. I'd have, I'd have ten yards off the green, and I'm making fucking bogey because I'm I I sculling balls into bunkers. It was it was insanity. I shot an eighty one, Scott. I eighty no. fucking my highest of the year came on. That's came not, on Friday. That's not good. That's not good. I, yeah. I mean, in fact, with the driver though, I only. I mean, I missed. The only fairway I re- literally missed was the first hole. I hit it in that burn, and I just had to take a drop. You know, on the right hand side, yeah. And so, but after that, I mean, I hit everything straight. There was some that I didn't get to the fairway. Um, but you know, they were still straight, um, which is another part that I like about, you know, Lynx golf is that, you know, you, you have to try, you know, to be, you you can, you can at least advance the ball in your second shots. Usually, I mean, you, you have to try to really be out of play, you know, that, that far, that off. I found an unusual ball, though. I found one that was two different colors. I don't know if you've seen those. It's like half, on divide. Yeah, the half yellow, half white. Uh, I ended up picking it up, but then again, it wasn't my ball. So uh, it was like I was on the left-hand side of the ninth fairway on on Ireland. Yeah, and so and this this is like you know we're talking like five o'clock, and so I'm thinking nobody's playing the first hole now. Well, I was wrong. Somebody was. And it was their ball. It's like, sorry, dude. <laughs> not a good look. No, no, not not a good welcome to the club there. Although I was playing behind a FISM and they were nice. They, uh, you'll love this conversation. So I was telling the pro, and I was like, hey, it's a nice shape, and you know, 
And there's and the guy in the pros like it's the best deal in town. It's the best deal in town. The guy's playing in front of me. He's like apologizing for being so slow, but then he's like, "Best deal in town, man, dude. We're paying over four hundred bucks a month. You know what are you, <laughs> what are you talking about? This is, I mean, we're getting creamed here. It's not cheap. It really isn't. But I mean, it's tough when. What other club is your like? There's like in Dallas. There's like. Maybe eight different clubs, private clubs within a 30-minute range of my house. So what's funny one. is, uh, did, y'all, did, y'all, uh, did y'all ever play, um, well, it would have been called Country Place back then. Uh-huh. That's where we played District uh, before so, we moved to Bay Forest. So Country Place now, they have a deal for $199 for two years. They'll give you free green fees. Charge you for How the card. Fees? Like I think probably about twenty bucks. Last time I played out there, that course was not in good shape. The last time I played, it was okay. I mean, it, it's right down the road from Clear Creek. Clear Creek's probably a better golf course a little bit. That's an Arcus um, course now, though, so you can't just join that one. Yeah. So there's so, like a course in my neighborhood that's a thousand bucks for the year. But like the greens are terrible, and so but it's a fun nine hole executive course that plays along Lake Louisville. And if they would get the greens in shape, I'd join in a heartbeat because I could literally buy a golf cart, drive my golf cart there, drive it back. It's a fun course, but the greens are terrible. Like I hit it to 15 feet, and you would think the stroke I'm taking is like a 50 foot putt, you know. And it's just like it's like I played nine holes there, and I probably had like that day, like where you, you know, you had what 42, I probably had 20. 25, 26 putts on nine holes. It yeah. Ridiculous. It, and it's like, you feel like I didn't do anything wrong. Like, this is just not on me. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. I mean, the only, if you're looking at the immediate Clear Lake area, I mean, you're, you've got three courses. I mean, you, you got have, Bay Oak, South Shore, you or, got Magnolia, and then Timber. South, South Shore, well, yeah, in terms of like, you know, courses you can join. You know, South Shore, Timber Creek still open to the public. And, and it's, and, you know, when it's kept up, it's a nice course. Um, it's a little pricey. You What's know, the for one the in Pearland, um, where it's it's actually member owned though. Like you got to buy a share in that place. You're not talking about Southwick, are you? I don't think so. Oh, uh, Green Tea Terrace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's where we go. Why look at Christmas lights? In fact, we're going to probably be going there in about two I or three a weeks. Hooters tour event out there, like a. Uh, we played a high school program. tournament out there. We played a high school tournament out there. It was, um, I remember the day, uh, it was about, you know, 60 degrees, wind chill about five. Um, I mean, it was like 30 mile an hour winds, just disgusting. I, I think I shot an 87 and I was second on our team. I mean, it was just depressing. Um, so, you know, back in the good old days, right? But uh, speaking of Speaking of good old days, Scott, you know, I, I feel like that the Texans, uh, you know, could be headed for some good days, but there's been some some baseball careers, right? You know, thinking of good old days, looking back, and we've got a Hall of Fame ballot that's out, and I, that was a terrible transition, and I apologize, <laughs> and I apologize for that, and I'm trying to smoothly get us to the Hall of Fame ballot and looking back on the days of of some of these careers. And, and, you know, I think, what is it, six picks? You get six, 
as a Hall of Fame voter? Ten. I'm sorry, you get ten votes as a Hall of Fame voter. Um, you know, Scott is a tough ballot, but at the same time, I don't think it's even that deep as, as some of these other guys are talking about. I think if you're just going down the list and you're asking, is this guy in the Hall of Famer or not? It's hard. Um, I think if you're trying to pick a list of top 10 guys you can vote for, gets a little bit easier. And so, you know, kind of the, like the way I want to, the way I like to look at it is let's eliminate the guys first off the top that I think are pretty easy guys to eliminate. Uh, there's one guy that kind of sticks out like a sore thumb on that list. I don't know if you, if he's going to be the same for you as he is for me. I'm trying to pull it back up again. Cause I don't have it. In fr- I, there's like everybody's ranking it in order of like how they think they should go in, and I don't want that. I want, um, I want just the actual candidates all in a like a a, a dot, not a uh, a uh, numbered list. I'm trying to find it. Well, the one the name that sticks out to me, and I haven't done any pictures yet. Granted, in my um uh, at least updated go. index, Mark Burley. Mark Burley's he he's at least worthy of getting on the ballot as a first year guy. He's he's okay. He was an okay guy. But uh he's a pretty easy one to eliminate for me. I was doing some numbers cuz this is what kills me is and 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 uh Omar Vizquel. Omar Vizquel. Okay. He has gotten up to 50% in the votes. And I'm trying to, and so let me give you a list of guys. Because the whole idea of the Hall of Fame index, for those of y'all that you know haven't listened to me explain this before, this is a way. It's going to be similar to Jaws for anybody who's been to Baseball Reference, but basically it's a way of getting guys into a list of players that are similar to them. Because I think a lot of people romanticize certain players. Like we'll romanticize. Jose Altuve when it comes time for him to be on the ballot. Well, we need to have some level of objectivity. So let me compare, let me give you a list of names that he compares to in style of play and overall quality. Rabbit Marinville. You heard of him? He's in the Hall of Fame, actually. Phil Rizzuto. You've heard of him? Yeah. More as a broadcaster, though, right? More as a broadcaster. Now, here's my favorite. Roger Peckinpah. You heard of him? I haven't. Okay. Luis Aparicio. I've heard the name, but that's not anything special. Now, what kills me is three of those four guys are in the Baseball Hall of Fame. That, Different that's, era, though, right? Well, they, they were they, – I hate to use the word mistakes, but they, they were I – mean, they were more or less mistakes. The only one that I could argue for is Phil Rizzuto. He missed three years in serving his country in World War II. And if you give him typical season in those years that, you know, kind of like he was producing, I could see getting there. But if I just give you those names and I sit there and say that Omar Vizquel is similar to those guys offensively and defensively, are you putting them in the Hall of Fame based on that? I mean, if you tell me three of those four guys are Hall of Famers, then yeah. Well, that's that's kind of the problem. That's why the index was designed in the first place. Because I hate the 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 one argument I hate is the if then argument. If that's if this, if this guy's in, 
Shane, you tell me to compare, if you're telling me to compare to three, you, you said the point of the index is to look at the guys above and the guys below. And if you're looking at three out of the guys above and the guys below are both in the Hall of Fame, then yeah, by that metric. Yeah. I mean, he's got, the guy's got 11 gold gloves, man. Does he the deserve pro- all 11? Probably okay. not. But okay. like he was really good defensively. Okay, so your OPS plus. 82. He wasn't a strong hitter. 82. Offensive he, was win- he was a slapper. He was a slapper. O- offensive winning percentage, 419. So a lineup of nine Omar Vizquel's gets you to he about... Sla- he was a slapper. It was a different era. Gets you to about 70 wins. So uh, basis per out, that was one of my favorite stats, 618. Now, there is a guy that ended up on the bottom of the index that I just released to you. Um is the worst hitter I've seen profiled in any position, Mark Belanger. Um, He ended up being at about like a 60-something OPS plus, but he had over 200 fielding runs. So, I mean, he was... Belanger. I barely know her. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, So, we'll start off with the name that is not on the list that you assumed was on. Uh, you assumed that Barry Bonds was on the list. Oh, he's fallen off now. He has fallen off the list, which okay, doesn't so mean let's... doesn't mean he won't be in the Hall of Fame. It just means that the writers won't put him in. Yeah, that's true, and it could be one of the uh, with the player votes or whatever the hell they yeah, the veteran. It's kind of like, I just call it the veterans committee. committee. I just call it yeah. the veterans committee. It's it's something else now, but you know whatever, right? So let's at least, I'm going to take you down the first, first timers on the ballot. Cause for me, I feel like almost every one of these should like two should be first ballot hall of famers and everybody else should fall off except for Bartolo Colon, who could stick on for two or three years before he falls off. But for me, Jose Bautista should fall off after one year. Yeah. Had a nice little, had a nice little peak, but you're not a hall of fame. Right. No, Adrian, yeah. Yeah, Adrian Beltre should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Three thousand. Absolutely, in. absolutely. Well, and he's one of the best defensive third basemen ever. Bartolo Colon, like I said, we can let him bang around for a few years, but he's not a Hall of Famer. He just uh, wasn't. He he at his well, uh, as the scientists would say, he never reached critical mass. And you know what? I mean, now he took he took Saudi money. He's playing in that Saudi league now. So uh, forget I, about it. Well, I'm not even going to say that. I'm just going to say he. Oh, just, he is. He's playing that is very league. well. I'm just saying, at his very best, he was not, you know, top I, of that. And I, re- I was making a joke. It was, a, yeah. it was not a good joke. But he is playing in the Saudi Baseball League. Oh, I believe you. I, I, I absolutely believe that. Uh, Adrian Gonzalez, I think, should fall off after a year. He was good for a bit, but nothing special. Here's, um, a, fun, here's a funny stat on him, though. Funny stat on him. Do you realize he is one RBI away from nine consecutive 100 RBI seasons? There was that's one season. Fine. It was one. Well, but I'm saying, but and, and what I'm saying though is that that's the justification that people use to put in Gil Hodges, that he had seven consecutive hundred RBI seasons. But if you, I mean, I just, I don't know. To me, I, no, I'm not putting him in. I, I'm not putting Adrian Gonzalez in. I'm just saying, people use you know faulty logic, you know, to put these guys in. And I think Gonzalez was a fine player. At his height, he was a monster. 
But you know what? That height just didn't really last that long. Uh, and I think, you know, at the end of his contract, his last two or three years, he really was an albatross uh, for the Dodgers the last two years. And the Mets, his last three, sucked. So, you know, it is what it is. He was another one of those guys, Hall of Very Good. I feel like he should probably fall off after the first year. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah um, I agree. Matt Holliday, if he if he manages to stick around for one year and then fall off, that wouldn't surprise me. But another one of those guys like Adrian Gonzalez, who was a stud, but just wasn't wasn't dominant, right? Like Matt Holliday was a was a very good baseball player and and had some excellent years, but he's not a Hall of Famer. What's rough with those guys is that all of those Rockies are kind of in the same boat. Larry Walker, it took him a while to get in. Larry Walker was a whole lot better than Matt Holliday. Uh, Matt Holliday played in a lot other a lot of other places yeah, as well. He did. So that's going to help it, him out because he was a did, Cardinal and he was a Yankee. As did Walker. I mean, Walker played with the Cardinals and the Expos, and he was good with both in both places. Career uh, two ninety nine hitter. Yeah, I just don't. Eight eighty nine OPS. That's better than yeah. The the thing is but with those even the even the numbers that they're going to want to like right the the peripheral numbers three hundred and sixteen homers uh, doesn't really do much for me four sixty eight doubles that's pretty cool but at the end of the day like the He's guys a, who like the big sexy numbers they're not there and he doesn't have any of the advanced metrics for the new guys to argue for him I put him in the same basket as Berkman. Where you know, if you give me, I agree with that. If you give me one more all-star season with Berkman, he's in, and that's probably the same needed more than one. But yeah, yeah, kind of a similar, you know, kind of a Berkman similar. Berkman was better. Berkman was just a better baseball player. I feel like because he offered you throughout his career the positional versatility, and you know what? Maybe this is where the nostalgia comes into play too, and maybe this is where you'd have to bang it out for me. But at the end of the day, it's tough to define Berkman by one position when you're doing like an index like you do because he played some first base. He played center field. Yeah. He played left field. He DH'd for a period. Well, you're comparing him. I mean, the index score itself is 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 simple. It's not. It, it doesn't get more complicated with more positions. I think the problem is is this which you know which position do you put him in? I mean, the score switch itself. Hitter. Just put him as a switch yeah, hitter. The score itself is because I don't have DH as a position. I mean, to me, DH is not a position. It's a it strategy. It's a strategy. Jordan Alvarez is a DH who occasionally plays left field. I think, and when I categorize Edgar Martinez, he's a third baseman. He's just a third baseman who DH most of the time. Um, well, and the that thing is, that guy didn't even have a fucking glove for the last ten years of his career. Well, no, he just, no, he, he did. just but, brought bad. He just brought batting gloves to the stadium. But if you look, if you look at the math and the way that they do those models, they punish the hell out of guys for not fielding. So I hate it whenever somebody comes back and sit there and go, "Well, we're going to give him even more punish." No, he's. I mean, he's been punished enough. Like, do you look at David Ortiz's numbers? They're way further down than you would think because he never play in the field i don't care hall of famer first ballot yeah oh yeah yeah oh sure sure all right so we gotta keep moving We're, we can't get stuck on matt holiday uh victor martinez should fall off after one year yeah yeah he did this make it very, into my he did make it into my top 40 catchers yeah but he just didn't stay healthy long enough to me no um, no he's he wasn't a catcher for long enough you and i might differ here but I think Joe Maurer is a first ballot Hall of Famer. No, he's in. Okay. 
He's a Brandon Phillips, one year and done. Although I love Brandon Phillips, he's off. Uh, Jose Reyes, I think should fall off as well. Yeah, he just never stayed healthy. No. Uh, James Shields is laughable that he's even on the ballot. Wow. Um, right, like that's crazy to me. Chase Utley, another guy, kind of in the um holiday Gonzalez Victor Martinez category. He's Chase Utley's a Hall of Famer. He has over a three hundred and fifty index. He um, I okay. You're gonna you're gonna force me. the The problem with the problem with Utley had is that he won zero gold gloves and probably should have won at least a half dozen. Uh, he was easily the best fielding uh, second baseman in the, in the National League for, I would say, at least for half a decade. Um, and, and a good offensive player. So, you know, if you look at his career, he's going to end up winding up fairly close to, to Biggio territory. Biggio's a little bit higher because he had a longer career. But in terms of definitely peak value. I, I'm sorry. I, with all due respect... You cannot compare a guy who didn't even get 2,000 hits to someone who got 3,000. Like, I don't care how he gets on base, Tom. But even, I mean, 724 walks isn't even that much over a 16-year career. He had a, he had a shorter, he had a shorter, yeah. He had a much shorter peak. But also, Biggio, if you look at my index, he's the worst fielding second baseman in the whole. Well, actually, on the whole list. On the whole list. Biggio is not great defensively. On the whole list. At second base, at catcher, at left field, at center field. Well, look look whose name is right above him on that list. I don't have the index in front of me. Jose Altuve is the one right above him. They're they're at the bottom. He's a gold glover. How dare you, sir? How dare you? Well, I I don't know. But I... We'll, well, that's that's where we differ because I do not think Chase Utley is a Hall of Famer. And looking at his baseball reference page, he's got a few seasons. He's got a peak run of 06 to 2010. But I feel like um, you need 10 years of dominance to be a Hall of Famer, and he doesn't have that. Uh, I mean, if you want to vote no, but he's got he's higher up on the index than, say, Jeff Kent or, you know, players like that. So I still um, vote no. Okay. David Wright, off for me. No, yeah, he didn't quite. He he just he Never had healthy. Yeah, if he had he's if he, he's one though if you look at him if he had like two more years. Yes. He'd been in. But if he could have if he could have stayed healthy for two or three more years at his peak, right? Because yeah. he just kept trying to come back and he had like really bad shoulder issues and I mean 242 homers. He just lost all his pop. Like, yeah. You look at you look. We went from a guy who hit thirty homers in two thousand ten to fourteen, twenty one, eighteen, eight, five, seven. He just never really got it back. So, yeah, um, yeah. That was that was the what if for the Mets, right? Because they had Reyes and they had David Wright, and it just they never neither one of them ever stayed healthy. So, yeah. Um, all right, under the under the holdovers, Todd Helton. Yes, for me. Yes. Yes, same thing uh, with Matt Holiday, except he he kept it going longer. Agreed. Uh, Billy Wagner, yes. Um, I am going to go a qualified yes, uh, because if he if if it comes to a crunch with ten guys, he if might. You're be... one ahead of me. I have four yeses right now. You have five. Yeah. If it yeah if it comes down to a crunch. 
he's a yes for now, but uh, if if I have to knock somebody off, he'll probably be that guy. Andrew Jones. Yes. No for me. So you're best, sixth. Best fielding center fielder who ever lived. I'll give you that, but it fell off hard when he went to. He did. But part of that, though, is if you take take a look, you know, would you say Ron Santos is a Hall of Famer? Never saw him play enough to give you that answer. But if you looked at his numbers? All right, let me pull up Ron Santos. Didn't they call him pizza? I uh, don't know. I remember because I had uh MLB game that he was in, and uh, they used to say they called him uh, – Pizza, maybe that's not right, but either way, Santo, 15 years, 277, OPS was 826. Considering the area he played, considering the area he played, uh, plus he did want a couple of gold gloves, I think. Santo has five gold gloves, nine-time All-Star, 10 gold gloves, five-time All-Star for Andrew. OPS is well, a little bit lower. OPS well, this plus is, is lower. Well, this and... is why this is why I compare him to. This is why I compare the two. Uh, look at his first year in the big leagues. How old was he? Santa. Uh, San, no, Ron Santa. Twenty. Okay. Andrew was nineteen. When, when was his last full season? At what age? At thirty-four. But he, he was like, he was trash. So his last good year was probably like 32. Oh, you're talking about, oh, he was an all-star. Right, Santa. He was an all-star in 73 one year before he retired. So, but 33 years old. Because what happened with Andrew Jones is Andrew Jones came up at 19 and he aged horribly. Like by the time he was 30, he was practically trash. Correct. Because he like, didn't take care 2006, of himself. 2006, he's an all-star. He had 262 with 41 bombs. He had 29 doubles. His OPS that year was 894, and he finished 11th in MVP voting. He gets mother effing paid. Goes by the Dodgers. Yeah, yeah, by actually, the Dodgers. The de- actually, the decline started in 2007. He hits 222 that year, was ter- and then gets still gets paid by the Dodgers. Hits 158, then hits 214, 230, 247 with New York, and then finally a buck 97. He shuts it down. That's His- Operation Shutdown. Yeah. So- don't you remember? Don't you remember? Did were you? Uh, were he started you- hitting for some pop though, like. It- you know, he just trying to hit for pop. He hit 19, 13, and 14 homers his last were, three years. Were you an avid fan uh, of the Astros in the late 90s? Absolutely. You remember Derek Bell? Absolutely. The, the original Killer Bees were Bees, Bagwell, Bell. Barry. Do you, mem- do you remember him uh, in Pittsburgh? Minimally. I know I know the car story. No, no, no. So he's he's with Pittsburgh, right? He signs a two-year deal. So his last year, I think, his first year of that deal, he hits like a buck eighty. So they announced that they're going to bring in somebody to compete with him in spring training, and so that's when he says, "I'm going to go into Operation Shutdown," and he he refused to play. It's like you you know you jackass, you hit a buck eighty, you you deserve you know 
somebody come in. But Andrew Jones and the point I was going to make with him is that if you if you put his debut at 23 and then give him the same number of years, people would have been like, oh, that's a fairly normal length career. But it's the fact that he sucked in his early 30s where people are like, no, this, you know, no. But we'll continue. I still say no. I we'll continue. You we'll can't continue. And now, next one, Gary Sheffield, I am in on. Oh, yes. Yes, you have to. You can't. Beltron? Beltron, yes. Uh, yes. I'm 50 50 on him. He is a top 10 all time center fielder. I know. Maybe this is a, a negative connotation because he well, brought the scandal to Houston. Well, yeah, I understand that. I understand that. But he, you know. It's, I put him in the same box, though, really, as Clemens and Bonds, where, yes, he did bring shame, but he brings shame after he had already put together a Hall of Fame career. It's the right. same thing with those two. All right, you give me that. A-Rod? Yes. Okay, I agree. Man Ram? Yes. Agreed. You're you're getting close to 10. Yeah, I got that's, what, that's, right now. that's why I, have to, I might have to bump off uh, – Bump off Wagner. You're at 10. Omar Vizquel? No. I'm, I'm okay leaving him off to save my save my ballot because I'm at 8. Andy Pettit? No. Bobby Abreu? Yes. I say no on him. Jimmy Rollins? No. Mark Burley? No. Francisco Rodriguez? No. Torrey Hunter? No. I'm going to actually change my mind, and I'm going to say yes on Torrey Hunter. Okay. You're going to have to do some fast talking. Nostalgia purpose only. Robbing Barry Bonds in the in the All-Star game, getting carried over his shoulder. But realistically, no. If you want to talk about – if you, I feel like if you want to convince me that Andrew Jones is a Hall of Famer based on his de- defense, um, I think Torrey Hunter is up there. Neck and neck with Andrew Jones in, in no. center field defense. No. Tori Hart was fantastic. No. Tori no. Hart was fantastic. No. Good Lord, no. Hold on. You're, you're making me do this. Um, Let me go ahead. Let me open up a new browser. Can you still hear me? I can hear you. Okay. Well, I got to look this up because this is, this is going to bug me. All right. So... Nine gold gloves going against I don't 10 give a for Andrew. Sh- I don't give a shit about gold gloves. They gave Rafael Palmero a gold glove after he played 13 games at first base one year. I, I don't I don't give a shit about gold gloves. Okay. Um, what I can tell you, because Jeter's won four. Would you, would you want me to continue? Okay. Three three top ten seasons in defensive 30, war for 30, 33 fielding runs for his career. Okay, he had that, you know, 2001, 2003, 2004, good solid seasons. Uh, 2009's another solid season. 2012's a solid season. So, I mean, he, you know, he, he did some good things. I'm not going to say he's a bad fielder. But Andrew Jones is just on a complete another level. And the, the thing is, the problem with Andrew Jones is that he didn't have any web gems because he was too good to dive for the ball. 
he got there way before he needed to dive for the ball. Uh, that's where, like you say, like a Jim Edmonds, which I don't know. Is he even still on the ballot? I, don't ah, think so. I hate that guy. I do too, but he's a Hall of Famer. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, Andrew Jones, 235 fielding runs versus 33 for Torrey Hunter. It's it's not that that's 20 wins. That's 20 defensive wins difference. You know, I don't know who's he led this. the league. He led the league in defensive war. Black ink from center field. I mean, that's usually like a catcher or a shortstop thing. He did it, you know, four times. Fair I mean, enough, the- man. I'll go to bat for my boy Tory, though. I, you know, a good player. I, I, I have no problem with him as a player. Um, I just don't think he's quite Hall of Fame. I think he's better than Bobby Abreu. No. God, Bobby no. Abreu competed in a home run derby. was never the same. God, no. Bobby Abreu. I hate that guy. The, the I don't sing- know why. I had an irrational hate of Bobby Abreu growing up. I, can't, single- I cannot tell you what it was. The single most important stat in baseball is on base percentage. Single most important stat. Um, I mean, would you agree? You with me? Yeah, I would agree. I would okay. In my head, yeah. Okay, I, I'm I'm looking at his page, so I didn't, I couldn't. You know, I'm I'm working off, you know, just audio. Okay. So starting in 1998, it's his first you know time he's a uh, he's a full time player. His on base percentages: 409, 446, 416, 393, 413, 409, 428, 405, 424, and then you know goes down to you know a horrible 369, 371, 390, 352, 353, 350. That's his last full season in the big leagues. So he never went below 350 in any full year. Okay, but let's look at OPS. And what year did he have the home run derby where he fell apart and there was never the same player? Oh, I, well, I don't. But, okay, 906, 995, 970, 926, 934, 877, 971, 879, 886. Uh, that's a combined year. Okay, 814. 843, 825. So from 2000, 1998 to 2009, he was over 800. He, I think 814 was his lowest. And then he had 787 in 2010, uh, 717, and six. Yeah, those last two or three years were rough. But, you know, that, that normally happens. I'm, But I'm just saying, yeah, I'm... I'm going to go to bat for him. That's I may kinda... be misremembering him because I remember so it was 2005 that he went off in the home run derby. And then I remember him having like a post derby slump, but maybe I'm wrong on that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's, he may have had a, like a power outage. I don't know. But the thing is with him is that there is other than walking, there wasn't a skill that he was dominant at. He hit for a decent average. For the era, but not great. Um, he hit for good power, but not great. He would steal you 20 bags a season. I think he had 400 steals for his career. Um, 
solid fielding right fielder, not not great. Um, but he did everything reasonably well. And so that's where, you know, the value comes in. That's why, you know, things when you look at things like war, you're looking at, you know, what are you looking at with the combined skills? Whoever scouted right fielders for the Astros in the late 80s, oh. early 90s, did a fantastic job. Whoever made the decision on which one of those guys to keep and which one of them to let go, somehow keeping Richard fucking Hidalgo over all the other ones that they let walk, is unbelievable. Luis Gonzalez, Bobby Abreu, nope. Jerry Richard, Richard Hidalgo. Well, he ate himself. I mean, 2000, he had a brilliant year. He had one good year. Then he ate himself, you know, pretty much out of you know, out of the whole thing. Uh, look, Gonzalez. Did I ever tell you the story, ever tell you the story about when me and my dad pulled up next to Richard Hidalgo on uh, El Camino and El Dorado at that light? No. So we're sitting there, and like fucking Richard Hidalgo pulls up, and this is like right after he signed that big deal. He's got like a gold Mercedes convertible, and with my dad and I, I'm like, Dad, it's Richard Hidalgo. And then, like, he sees me notice him, and then, like, his friend rips a fart, and he starts, like, I, and he starts, like, oh, my God. Like, he starts, like, getting, like, upset at his friend for ripping the fart, like, right after he noticed that we noticed him. Oh, man. But uh, Gonzalez Adolfo only played eight years. That's crazy. Gonzalez was dealt before. So, what basically, uh, to give you a bit of a history lesson there, um. Drake McLean buys the team in, I think, 90, right at the end of the 90 season, right around there, 90-91. His first act, they, they, were, they were building something. I mean, 92, they come in, they got Biggio, they got Bagwell, they got Steve Finley, they got Luis Gonzalez, they got Ken Caminetti. They're starting to build things. I mean, those guys were starting to get good. So what he decided to do, and I think this was ninety, it was either ninety two or ninety three. Drebeck goes out there and goes, "I need to make a splash. I'm going to go out and get two local boys because everybody's going to come out and watch the local boys." So he signs Doug Drebeck and Greg Sundell to just absolutely stupid contracts at the time. Stupid contracts. One of the guys we were negotiating with, Ozzy Smith. Now, what do you think of that team if you'd put Ozzie Smith with those guys at shortstop? Because Ozzie Smith, he wasn't a great hitter, but he could get on base. Damn good fielder. Nice guy to have behind young pitchers. You know, to, to, but yeah, the the joke they told about Greg Sundells, they said that the umpires went out to check him, see if he was doctoring the ball, checked his back pockets, and a jelly donut fell out. Um. But yeah, once but he got burned by you know the fact that nobody came to the ballpark to watch these guys pitch, and so after that, so that was right around ninety three, ninety four, and that's when he starts. He he makes that you know Derek Bell trade, you know, for trading Ken Caminiti and Steve Finley to the uh, to the Padres. That's where you know Finley hits thirty home runs all of a sudden. Caminiti wins an MVP. We know why, but let let's kind of ignore that for just a moment. Um, there's a there's a great article that I read that basically um, you, you look at like the steroid tree or whatever, and like at the top of that motherfucking tree is Ken Caminetti. Like it all 
And all links down from Ken Caminetti. My favorite quote from him. Somebody came to him and says, you know, we heard that you said that, you know, 50% of the of baseball players are on steroids. And he says, nah, I think it's more like half. <laughs> that was my mom's favorite Astro for quite a long time. Oh, he had a cannon. And, you know, what the problem was, and, and, and what was really Biggio and Bagwell, ironically, and, and maybe Osmus to a lesser extent, they saved his life. Because First he, time. he was a raging alcoholic. And, 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 and cocaine. Well, but in, in the early days, like when he, uh, he said minor league coaches would notice how like intense he would get and they actually wanted him to go out and drink. And so then, you know, he became an addict and that last season he had in Houston was the best year he had in Houston right before that trade. And he played that year sober. And so, you know, he's kind of one of those what if stories that if, you know, if he had, been allowed to stay in Houston, you know, what might've happened, you know, I was, uh, when I was running the Grimaldi's in Sugarland, I was doing interviews and I'm handed a, an application and the name is Nicole Caminetti. Oh, I remember she's been on. Yeah. I remember seeing and her I on said, X. I was like, there's no way like this probably, probably random. Right. Like, yeah. And then I go to interviews girl and it's Ken fucking Caminetti's face. Yeah. With long black hair. And I'm like, oh, shit, this is Ken Caminetti's daughter. So, truth be told, Scott, I don't care what she would have said in that interview. I'm fucking hiring this girl. Like, it's Ken Caminetti's daughter, so she gets the job. No kidding. So, I'm sitting there, like, talking to her, and she goes, uh, I don't know, I was cutting pizzas, and she comes up to me, and she goes, hey, I just got a text from Uncle Craig. Uh, He wants to know if I could leave early tonight to go to the game. And I was like, quick tea. When you say Uncle Craig, is that Craig fucking Biggio? And she's like, yeah, Uncle Craig. <laughs> just like, you tell Craig he can have whatever he wants. If he wants to come inside and say hello to me mm. before he picks you up for the game, that'd be even better. Said, oh, he's sending his car. Like, mm. I want to meet Craig. Uncle yeah. Craig. Yeah, so that's, you know, yeah. That's that's a what if story. Let's go. I think we're we're kind of out. I, we've well, run speaking of the- what if. Well, speaking of what if. Okay, what if the Texans didn't get fucking hosed by the refs on Sunday, Scott, and they could have ate some of those bullshit pass interference calls that gave the Jaguars like nine opportunities on the goal line from the one yard line. I think we're kind of skipping ahead to you know the end of the script here. Um. I don't want to, I'm not going to get to that. I'm just saying, but what if, you know, what if the Texans didn't get those bad calls? Well, I was going to say, you know, if you want to do a what if, what if we had a real kicker? 58, man, it's a long. Well, but they missed one from 50 in the first 51 half. 51 hurt, yeah, for sure. And the Tank Dell. Um, yeah, that would have made that would have made that kick a lot easier. Yeah. So, and so, a lot of what ifs in that game. But yeah. at the end of the day, too. Texas didn't play winning football. No, they didn't. And and I think what and, and they've been talking about it on the radio and basically I think what's what's great about this game is the fact that the Texans clearly did not play their best. I mean, there's no play nowhere near their best and and there they were, you know, a doink away from going to overtime. I mean, that's that's remarkable. But that's but that's what having an elite quarterback does for you, right? Where 
I think in years past, you know, especially like in the Matt Schaub years, Texans get blown out in that game, right? Like they just don't have it. The run game's not there. You're getting screwed by the refs, whatever. As you said, with C.J. Stroud at the helm, we were a, a bad doink of the football away from pushing that thing to overtime. And that's what having an elite quarterback does. Like, I didn't expect us to lose that game. That's what was so frustrating is I still expected C.J. Stroud, honestly, to go down the field and score a touchdown that final drive. And I thought we I thought we messed up by taking the ball out of his hands uh, on that fourth down play. I, I feel like we had enough time to try and, and, and get a first down uh, and then get out of bounds. But, you know, the decision was made. Yeah. But that's just the amount of trust I have in C.J. right now. Well, and, and here's – if they go with next-gen stats, if we want to be all fancy, uh, they said the difference in percentages overall around the league was you had a 3% better chance of converting on fourth down there than you did of making that field goal. However, this is where you know you got to throw next-gen stats into the, the trash can and talk about who are the individuals involved. Matt Amendola, for his NFL career... 0 for 5 on field goals 50 yards and longer. 0 for 5. I would say that, you know, C.J. Stroud's odds of converting 12 yards, probably better than most of the quarterbacks in the league. We had no timeouts, though. That's part of the thing to think about. No timeouts left. And do you have time to get 12 yards and kill it if you don't get out of bounds? I would say, yeah. With 30 seconds on the clock? Is that how much time there was? Yeah, it was thirty about thirty-two seconds. Yeah, I think then you're right. Like I'm, I at the time they did it, I said I'd rather CJ go for it, and then we kicked it, and it. I mean, he nutted it right. Like, oh yeah, he nutted I mean, it, and it was right at it. He just didn't have the leg. Which my question is, with you know, like other guy, why is that the guy that we're bringing in? Why are we bringing in a guy who's never hit a fifty yarder in his life to be the like? I'm not going to say kickers are a dime a dozen, but there's a lot of experienced kickers out there. You know who's out there? Robbie fucking Gold, who doesn't miss. Does he have a 58-yard in him? Probably not, but he would have had the 50-yarder. Why are we bringing in Matt Amendola to fill in when we're pushing for the playoffs here? Who You know who the kicker is for the Texans right now as we speak? That running back? Dario Gamboi, yep. Yeah, he because uh, they waived Matt Amendola on Monday morning, and you know they picked up a, a defensive end from the Eagles. Um, and great pickup, great pickup. Hopefully, they have not replaced. They have not added the kicker yet. They worked out Brett Mayer today, um, who I, I, I just started missing everything he looked at for the Cowboys. Was it last year or two years ago? Yeah, I remember, um, I remember that guy. But like again, like. Why? How? Who decides who we're calling up? Like again, Robbie Gold is out there. Does he not want calls? Maybe that's what it is. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, Tony's in Dejas. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Aldo Greco, maybe you know, throw him. No, I'm just, just kidding. But uh, I mean, Mason I, Crosby's out there. I think. I think the big thing that Randy Bullock's available. I think. Oh, the fat Aggie. Um, the, the, the thing that killed me, though, on, on Sunday was this team has not been able to run block consistently all year. So I didn't expect that. 
What I didn't expect is the pass protection just to completely fall apart. Because, you know, Josh Allen is a good pass rusher. He's really the only good pass rusher they got. So why is C.J. Stroud running around for his life? Now, you, you end up losing Titus Howard. You know, I don't know if he's going to be out permanently. You put in Juice Scruggs. I sure hope that was Rust. Because if it wasn't Rust, they blew a second-round pick. Because, I mean, he was god-awful. And so I don't know. I, you know, you tell me, Tim. You know, there are a couple plays specifically I saw where C.J. didn't get deep enough on his drop. I, I definitely noticed that where he takes a shotgun pass and then just sets his feet and looks where he doesn't doesn't take a couple steps past that, right? Like he's also got to help his line by by getting a little bit deeper on those drops, especially knowing it's the fourth quarter and Allen's been roasting you guys all day. Uh, maybe don't stand three yards off the line of scrimmage. Get deep. Give yourself a chance there. So I think that was a big part of it. Um, but, yeah, the, the line didn't look great. And we're not a good run blocking team. We're absolutely not. We've got to be more. We need a back like Pacheco from the Chiefs, right? Someone shifty who, and we said it before, Singletary has done a better job of it. But we just need a guy who can go with the flow of the offense, catch a catch a swing pass, and advance the ball that way. Uh, halfback draws, things like like James White or you know the guys like Brady used to use back in the day. Um, that were not expensive, but you can find these shifty little backs who you can flip it out to them in the flat and let them pick up four or five yards that way. You don't have to run it up the tackles to have a run game. Scott, you know, Bill Belichick and, and Tom Brady showed you you can use the short passing game essentially as your running game when you've got a Keith Falk back there, right, who can, who can pick up five, six yards for you in those scenarios. Yeah, I, well, Singletary did have that one, you know, nice catch and run. Um, I can't. I think it was in the first half. Um, so that was a nice play, and I, I think he's capable of it. It's a, it's just a question of whether or not they're going to do it. But yeah, Damian Pierce, he is not the back for this team, um, and I, and I feel bad saying it because he was, you know, he was nails in his rookie year, but. It just just doesn't fit his but, running but style. But let's face it, he was nails, quote unquote nails, as a as a featured back on a team that could not throw the fucking football. So like we had to run the ball. He got a shit ton of looks, and at the end of the day, he's tough, but he he doesn't fit this offensive scheme one bit. He's not a one cut and go back. He is a guy who's just going to lower his shoulder and plow through whoever's in front of him. And I'm sorry, if you don't create a big hole for this guy, he's not going to do shit for you. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, and we'll just have to wait for the offseason. And I don't know, you know, the, the Texans are going to ha- have probably the most money under the cap to spend. So, I mean, do you dip into the waters for a Saquon Barkley? Or do you, you know, get a guy in the second or third round of the draft who you think, you know, can be that guy? I mean, that's kind of the question. Personally, I want no no part of Saquon Barkley because he's never been healthy. Uh, and I, like I just talked about, we don't need to spend big on a running back. We need a guy, and you can get a guy in the third, fourth, fifth round who is elusive and can do some things, and he's shifty. And that's all we, you know. Arian Foster was an undrafted free agent. The greatest running back in this franchise's history was an undrafted free agent because that's what this system does for running backs, right? Like you, any like, look at what the, the Denver Broncos did 
for like a 10 straight years. It doesn't matter who put they put in that backfield. The guy rushed for 1,000 yards because this zone-blocking run scheme should produce good running. Well, you can't just put anybody. I mean, yeah, you had guys like Orlandis Gary, you know, gaining, you know, yards. But the running back has to do his job. And his job, his, his job is one cut and go. And that's not, that's not Damian Pierce. It just isn't. Um, and, and I don't, I don't think the running game is going to be get fixed this year. I think it's, it's not, an, I think it's an off season thing. And, and part of that too, is maybe you want to go out and get yourself a left guard so you can pull put Titus Howard back at right tackle. Maybe you go out and you get yourself one of the best free agent centers and you really, you know, build up the interior of this offensive line. Maybe that's what you do. But yeah, it, this this now I think we're we're past the point of run first, second down, and hope that CJ can bail us out on third down. I hope we're past that. I, point. I think at this point you go look at those old Patriot game plans and you take what you can from that. You don't have to do it from the same formations. You can do what you need to do, but you need to find a way to manufacture yards. Here's how you do it, right? We can hit this guy out in the flat. We can hit, you know, quick little out routes. We can do these things to pick up short yarded situations that don't involve us running the football. Yeah. That's that's where the Texans are at right now. All right. So before we get to our favorite feature of the week, we, we decided to, uh, together to uh, introduce a new feature that we want to add to the show. And, and it's, you know, I, I like to think of myself as a positive person. And we've been talking a lot about scumbags over the course of uh, of our, you know, nearly year of doing this show. But we don't talk about, you know, the positive things very often. I know Tim's brought up a few times some positives that, you know, we will call tips of the cap. So um, I'll let you open up this week, Tim. Do you, uh, do you have a tip of the cap this week? You know, somebody who's been a good thing. I do. I'm going to wave my cap around in the air for Tillman motherfucking Fertitta and Dr. The Doctor, Renee Couture, for nutting the fuck up and firing Dana Holgerson. There's going to be a new cougar leading the den, and it's not going to be fucking Dana anymore. And I'm so happy about it. It's also not going to be Duke's head coach. I can't believe it. I didn't want Duke's head coach. Well, I don't know why the Aggies want him. He was their defensive coordinator. Well, but, well, you know, did you hear what happened with him? With A&M. They were ready to hire Mark Stoops. They brought him in. I saw that. They brought him in on a damn plane. And... The social media outcry was so bad he couldn't even get off the plane. It's not a good hire. I yeah. So I have to hope uh, the names I'm hearing. I'm hearing uh, Tulane's coach, which you know that would hurt the the family uh, here. UTSA's um, coach. UTSA's coach. Um, to me, you got to get a guy who's been successful somewhere. And I think those those two would be you know would be good hires. Gary Patterson's name is 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 being floated out there. Um, Cliff would, Kingsbury is one that I really hope ooh, does not come to fruition. Wow, I don't know about that. I don't um, know about that at all. Yeah, but here's one that 
I there uh, Oregon's uh, offensive coordinator, um, great recruiter, was here on the Tom Herman staff when we were at our height. Um, Oregon obviously has had great recruiting history in Texas, so he knows the area well. He's a young and up and comer, and and this is what makes it tough, Scott. You know, where's UH in the hierarchy of schools now? Right, we're in a Power Five conference. Um, we're in a we're in a pretty big city. Who are we able to go after? You know, like someone floated well, out that like Dion might leave Colorado for UH. And I was like, obviously that's no, not no. But like, where realistically, where are we in the hierarchy? Well, I'll say this, and and, and one of the reasons, good reasons for firing Dana that I, that I could that I've heard is forget about what they produced on the field, which you know, was bad enough. But their re- recruiting class was one hundred fifth, hundred fifth which ranked them around Michigan State and, you know, other programs that had had scandals in Northwestern, Northwestern and, and Michigan State. So Dana produced what they produced with scandals. I mean, that's just not good enough. No, I mean, he's you, not a good recruiter. You got to, you know, the whole thing is now that you're in a Power Four conference, even if you're going to sit there and say there's 15 teams per conference that means you got to be a top 60 recruiting i mean just bare minimum i mean you can't right. you can't get out recruited by non-power four schools it's, it's, it's ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous and it's you can talk about oh we'll hit the portal we'll do this well you just number one you don't develop players you know you had a guy in, in donovan smith this year who could have been something special who has a lot of different talents we had an unbelievably good wide receiving core and the play calling was garbage. The defense was terrible. The team looked unmotivated, uninspired. This is our first year in the Big 12, and it was a big, fat egg. And I, I, I personally still believe Houston's a great job. You know, if you look at what money has been invested in this program, you look at what Calvin Sampson has done with the basketball team, you, you can see success is, is very possible here. We are in – one of the top 10 media outlet cities in the country with the University of Houston. This thing gets rolling, it could be big. And if you get the, like what Herman did that was successful is he recruited the city of Houston. You, if you get to the point where you don't let kids leave Houston, you don't let that kid go to UT or to go to A&M or go to OU, you convince that guy to stay home and go to UH, they're going to contend for national championships every year. Yeah. Yeah, Houston, you know, I think in the next census will be the third biggest city in the country. I think we're passing Chicago. Uh, I mean, imagine but, yeah. if you get if you get the kids from North Shore and from from Manville and from, you know, Pearland, uh, or, uh, Pearland all these kids to stay. All and, and the skill positions, whatever, but you get the linemen, the linebackers, the defensive linemen. Those are the ones that need to stay. Because those are the ones that you have to have to compete at the Big 12. Or Katie so or like those, you know. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's that's what has to happen. Well, and, and I think it will if you make the right hire. I mean, I absolutely think. So, um, on my front, I'm going to have to huge, you know, we talked about it earlier. I'm going to do a joint tip of the cap to Magnolia Creek. I came out. Cart's ready. You know, the round's on us. So I go out and play 18 holes on Mag Creek. 
you know, and it was great. They let me play by myself. They didn't even put me with anybody. Now I ended up getting behind a fivesome, but you know, that, that kind of, that things, that kind of thing happens, but Hey, I, it was a relaxing round of golf and, you know, and it was fun, but my other tip of the cap, uh, PXG, I tell you what, I, I shot a one-on-one that was not because of the clubs, Tim. Those are the best clubs I've ever played. Uh, they're made for me, made for my swing the way it is right now. Um, and, and it's just, you know, the driver I'm hitting, you know, probably 10, 15 yards longer easily. Uh, those irons, I'm getting higher up in the air and it, it, they're just great. I mean, and the feel around the greens too, chipping. Uh, I can tell once I start playing a lot, I'm going to be a much better chipper than I was with my old clubs. So tip of the cap to both those folks. That's good because our goal was to make this game easier for you, right? Like the whole goal of this was to find something that fit the current state of your game. Um, and I think once you figure out putting, you're right where you want to be, Scott. Like you said, you're yeah. going to really, I think you're going to really, uh, especially this summer, if you can get that chance to be a marshal, um, you could get back to going low again. And I'd love to see it. Yep, absolutely. All if right. If you get back to the point where you don't miss a green with your seven iron and in, that that would be pretty good. Yeah, that would be. All right, so there is one group of people that we were not big fans of this week. And I think we're going to address that. This is going to be a joint scumbag. However, I'm going to go in a different direction than you will, Tim, I am sure. So I'm going to let you lead off because I I know you're coming in hot on this one. I am because the officiating crew on Sunday – for the Houston Texans and Jacksonville Jaguars was one of the worst, just awful, one of the worst examples of, of, of terrible officiating I've ever seen in my entire life. I came onto this podcast fully ready to dock some motherfuckers and tell you what these guys' regular businesses are so we can all flood their their Google business pages with bad reviews because that was one of the worst things I've ever seen in my entire life. It is, I mean, fans everywhere were reaching out to me and not fans of the Texans talking about how bad the referees were in that game. And that should say something. They were absolutely awful. The Jaguars two different times got stopped on third and goal. And then out comes a bullshit pass interference penalty. I mean, they were gifted, by my count, Scott, no less than 14 points by the referees. Because there's a an early drive where the Texans um, stop them on third and, third and long, deep in their own territory, and then out comes a flag because a jersey went like this off a cornerback. I mean, it was the most ticky-tack pass. And then they go off to score a touchdown on that drive. So it was, it was just the most ticky-tack called game and and you know the texans are being held the entire first half i'm watching will anderson get held left and right and we didn't get called at all for that but they're calling bullshit pass interference penalties we get tank dell on the sideline makes an unbelievable catch you can see the fucking still frame there's a fucking picture of it what are we doing in the nfl replay booth if we can't just take a fucking screenshot and say look hands ball feet inbounds that's a catch but no 
with all the goddamn technology we have, we still can't fucking get it right. All right. So I'm going to take this in a bit of a different direction uh, with the same group of people. Here's the play that kills me. So CJ Strauss run for his life. He hawks up a beauty. That thing is 70 yards in the air. That was a play, Tank, man. Tank Dell jumps up over a defender, makes the catch. Everybody's excited. We're running down the field. Woo! Nope, 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 nope. So here's my question. The penalty they called didn't exist. They called a let, legal motion well, when let, two let, people were let, in motion at the same time. Okay. Let's 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 go to an alternate universe and let's say that actually happened. Did that impact the play at all? No. So my plea is not really for those referees because that game is gone. That game's gone. We have to, you know, throw it a funeral, do whatever we need to do. Competition committee. How many rules in the rule book are bullshit rules? So here's another one. Another bullshit rule. Because they did call an illegal shift on Jacksonville as well in that game. So that's just a bullshit rule. To me, until you get within about three seconds of the snap, I don't care if it, fuck if nine guys are running around in motion around the fucking field. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. Get set. Give them three seconds. Snap the ball. There you go. The other one that kills me is a legal formation. So let's say the tackle is one foot behind the line of scrimmage. That's an illegal formation. This is another one that doesn't fucking matter. If you want to have a center and a quarterback and all nine guys behind the quarterback, it would be stupid, but I don't care. Let them do it. Let the defense figure out, okay, what do we want to do here? Let the offensive coordinator figure out, okay, I got nine guys behind this quarterback. What do I want to do here? Let them do it. It does. If a guy is a foot away from the line of scrimmage, why does that even matter? It doesn't. It doesn't impact the play at all. At all. So to me, the competition committee, and we've talked about this before, if you get you know a guy that scores a touchdown, and it's the first touchdown he's ever scored in his life. And he wants to dance. Let's fucking let him dance. What are we doing? What are you calling taunting? Where a guy looks back at a defender? That, that didn't happen in this game, folks. But it's happened before in other games. And I've seen it called where a guy gets called for taunting. What are we doing? So to me, I have two rules. If... You want to promote player safety, it needs to be a rule. So like face mask, horse collars, which also happened on that final drive, Tim. And, you know, any of those other ones, you know, uh, targeting, okay, have those rules on the books. That's fine. If my offensive lineman tackles the linebacker because he's about to kill my quarterback, call him for holding. Yeah, that's holding. But, you know, all this tic-tacky stuff, that has nothing to do with the play. What are we doing? You know, that's a great play by Tank Dell. And it's erased. And you stick in the you're sticking the team five, ten yards further back to where they had to run just a screen to Nico Collins just to gain yards, you know, so they're not punting from the shadow of their own goal line. You you completely took them out of their offense. 
you you took you know you took points off the board because they would at least had a field goal on that possession. So I mean that that one defensive series you're telling me, one of those balls that was thrown hit the fucking cameraman five yards on the sideline. So let's say that our you know the Texas defender touched him. Did that impact the play at all? Was the guy going to make a catch on a ball to hit the fucking cameraman? What are we doing? It was absolutely awful. It was it was one of the worst things. Clay Martin, I will find you. I will find your business. I'm not sure what you do for money, but I can't trust you anymore because you suck. You absolutely suck, and I hate you, and I hope you suck less next time, but you absolutely suck now. Here's, and, a, here's my problem I, with this whole suck. thing. Here's my whole problem with this thing is that when it comes out, you know, this is when the conspiracy people come out. And so what the conspiracy theory was, is that a majority of the country had put money on the Texans. Now you fill in the blanks. Do I think that happened? Absolutely not. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, though, is that when your officiating is that bad, you're going to leave the door open for people to make all kinds of accusations. Which I think we should sport- call up Jenks High School in Jenks, Oklahoma, and say, hey, I don't think you should have a guy who accepts bribes officiating games being your head coach of your basketball team there. But I think people should call the principal of Jenks High School and say, your basketball coach took a bribe on Sunday. He's the NFL. He is the – what the referee or one of the just he's the, he's the high school he's the high school basketball coach at Jenks High School. I know, but is he one of the officials of the game? No, he's the head. He's the head. Of, he's like he's the head of the crew. The umpire, oh, yeah. James Carter. Yeah, he's the referee. Okay, I. But the whole thing is like, how much time is he dedicating to his craft as an official? If he's a head basketball coach, or how much time is he dedicating to basketball? He can't do both. I mean, well, as we saw, well, he he. He's he better be a better basketball coach than he is a referee. Speaking and, of scumbag officials, I just want to say fuck you, Scott Foster, as you continue to stick it in the Rockets behind. Well, no, the way he's he's had it in for Chris Paul. Chris Paul's the one he hates. And Harden. And, and you know, thankfully there are you know they're not on our team anymore for him to stick it to us. But well, this Rockets game, and for those of y'all that are. Um, Got away late. That are tuning in. Yeah, we were we were in it in the fourth quarter, and now it's 111-104 um, with about a little over two minutes left. At least uh, I hope I'm caught up with you, Tim. Two and a half uh, left with Sangoon at the line for me. Yeah, yeah, that's about, that's where we're at. So it's, it's, a, it's a similar Rockets road effort where we're competitive, but just not quite good enough when – you know, the times got to learn how to win on the road, Scott. That's something that uh, teams, as they grow, they do. They learn how to win on the road. Hopefully, that but my, comes with this team. But for the for the NFL officials, here's my three fixes. Number one, competition committee. Let's clean up the rule book. Let's take out some of these BS rules. I, I, that motion rule shouldn't even be on the books, much less be called in that moment. Number two, we seem to have better technology than they do when they're reviewing plays. 
I, I don't get it. I, how I, how does that happen? How how do we not you know have better camera angles on the sidelines? You know you're going to have a play on the sideline. You know it happens every game. What do we do it? And then number three, these officials you know, bring out the Brinks truck, pay them two hundred fifty grand and up. You're full time officials now, or you're not officiating in the NFL. Sorry, dude, you got to give up your basketball gig. You got to, you got to come be, you know, because we need you to look at tape. We need, you know, we need to, you know, them to be sitting down in a room for three hours, looking at that tape, having something, there's somebody sitting there. You see that call, you fuck that up. You know, we're not going to give you a big game next time. We're going to give you the jets. We're going to keep giving you the jets until you can get that call right. The fuck that. <laughs> Give them a good, nice salary. You know what? You make five hundred grand a year, but every missed call is ten grand out of your pocket. Yeah. I'm gonna give you a nice starting salary. If you want to keep that salary, get it fucking right. Or you know, at least at the very least, give them the shit games. I mean, you shouldn't. Okay, so I mean, let's look at what's on the line for this game. The winner is the leader of the AFC South. Right now, Jacksonville has a stranglehold on this division. They're up by two games with six games left to go. I mean, uh, theoretically... They're the number one seed in the NFL right now. Yeah, theoretically they could lose the division, but I don't see it happening. That game gets called differently. The Texans are tied with the tiebreaker. So why do we have a shit crew working that game? Why can't they work the Bears Minnesota game, where he had Kurt Warner, you know, jizzing himself on the radio because the Vikings were about to throw a forward pass, his words in the fourth quarter. What? How? Watch? How? And what? Are you watching the game? The Rockets game? Yeah. Yeah, I'm watching. They just challenged that play to say that Kyrie Irving flopped, and they, after coming back, said he did not flop. Oh, good Lord. Scott, oh, Scott good. Foster. Go. Oh, good. Scott Foster. Fucking scumbag. Oh, good. Oh, my. Okay, so what did Dylan Brooks do there to foul him? I don't know. That's why Scott Foster's a late addition tonight, Scott. Does he have. Maybe he's got like a mind meld thing where he can, like, you know, force. And I'd like to, to add. I'm going to add one more quick one. This is real quick. This is a, a business, a business scumbag. I'd like to go back in time to when the people were sitting down and deciding what was appropriate to wear to work and what was not appropriate. And at some point, someone raised their hands and they said, what about shorts? Could we wear shorts? And someone said, no, you can't wear shorts to work. That guy's a scumbag. We should be allowed to wear shorts to work. I'm just going to put it out there. I hate pants. Well, what's funny is, is that they're in a, uh, so when I first started teaching Tim, uh, this was, you know, 1997, um, you had to wear a tie every day but Friday. Friday was jeans day. We got people now that wear jeans every day and nobody says My wife wears leggings. Yeah, n- nobody says anything. Now, w- women, they had it worse. They had to wear pantyhose. Every day except for Friday. So, you know, I, I knew, actually knew somebody that she wore it. She used it as like to tie her bun of her hair. 
just to sit there and say I was. Just to say I had pantyhose. I I had pantyhose. I had a guy that wore uh, like one of those clip-on ties and he tied it like to like the pocket on the side of his shirt, you know, I'm wearing a tie. Um, those, those guys are always clowns. They're like, oh, oh, I'm doing it, but just did it. Come on, dude. Like either fuck the man and don't wear the tie or capitulate and wear the tie. Well, now, you know, my birthday's Thursday. I think I've pretty much already decided, screw it. I'm wearing jeans. It's not, you know, technically you're not supposed to wear jeans on a Thursday, but you know what? What are you going to do? I hate jeans. I'm going to be honest with you, Scott. I am self-conscious about the way I look in denim, and I only wear golf pants. Well, yeah, I guess that's true. My, well, uh, they're a little bit more baggy. The problem we have is with, uh, and I don't know if uh, Sawyer is there yet, but, you know, we, we tell Dan, you know, many, many times, you know, we we make good money. We can afford pants without holes. We can do that for you. We don't, we don't, you know, you don't have to have pants with holes in them. We can afford to buy you the good pants. Uh, but you, you're going to be there someday with Sawyer. I, I, I'm sad to say. Oddly, the pants with holes cost more, Scott. I don't get it. There's less fabric there. You'd think it'd be less, but it is what it is. They, they pick strategically where to fucking put those holes. But I think that's all we've got for you. We're not talking about jeans with holes in them like old men. Um, but I think we're going to wrap it up here. Um, look forward to maybe hearing some early results from the Hall of Fame voting, and and, and hopefully the Texans can bounce back, bounce back this week into their flexed game, flex back into noon. So it'll be a fun week for the Texans, another noon start. Uh, hopefully Scott hears back from the golf course to see if he will be one of the starters out there. Um, but it's been a great week. We thank everyone for making us a part of your week here on the Snapbook. Thank you for tuning in to the Stat Book and making Scott and I a part of your week. Wanted to recognize that our intro song is called Energetic Indie Rock by Alex Grohl, and his outro music is Good Vibe by Twisterium. We appreciate everyone who tunes in each and every week and is part of the Snap Hook movement. We look forward to seeing you next week on the Snap Hook.